Warning. This podcast will contain spoilers from whatever TV show or movie is mentioned. Please listen at your own discretion. Welcome to Viewers Anonymous. What's going on? I'm the main man, Scoots Bronson. And I am S. Foster. That's right. And this is the Viewers Anonymous podcast. What's going on with you, my guy? Uh, making it out here in the world, man. You know, tweak my back a little bit at work, but your boy's still striving, man. Hit 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 that back with that CBD. Mm-hmm. Boy, feeling all right. So how about yourself, man? Man, I'm feeling good, feeling great. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know what I'm saying? Another day, you know what I'm saying? Breathing. I can't complain, brother. I'm I'm feeling great. Yes, sir, man. One day, one day above ground, man. Can't yes, complain sir. too much about that. Yes, yes sir. Yeah, so, man, uh, this... man, this is a this is a different one, bro. Yeah, this is real different. We getting straight to it today, folks. We ain't got none of that extra stuff, man. This is um, whoo, this one for the books, man. We told you guys that we'll be doing uh, who killed Malcolm X. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. All right, so this is what we do know. Mm-hmm. You are a huge Malcolm yeah. X guy. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned something mm-hmm. at the end of the pod yesterday during the coming soon. You said you actually heard this. You were listening to it at work, but this was going to be your first time watching it. Yep, yep. <clears throat> How did that go for you, first of all? Um. So my initial um my initial time hearing it because you know what I'm saying like everybody knows it's on Netflix so it's not really a pod but to be able to listen to it and you know what I'm saying and not really see what's going on or you know what I'm saying with the visuals and everything else like that it's a little different because you know what I'm saying with most documentaries it feels like a pod if you're not watching it and so um I got a chance to really, you know what I'm saying, hear what was being said, listen to the conversations that were being uh, had and, and everything else like that. But this time, actually going back and watching it this time, it got a little emotional for me because, you know, you got a chance to see the people that were talking. You got a chance to really see the pain in their face when they were talking about certain situations, um, especially when they were talking about his, his assassination, you got a chance to really see, you know what I'm saying? The pain in their eyes when they were talking about that. So it was, um, it was a little bit difficult. I can't lie, man. It was a tad bit difficult. It was. And and it was very graphic as well, mm-hmm. like with the visuals and to be able to see the, like you said, the, <clears throat> bless, bless you. Like the, the looks you. on certain people's faces, about mm-hmm. certain subjects, you know, this ain't these ain't actors. You know, this is this is a documentary. This is real interviews had being had with real people. So it was it was a little sad because a, a lot of the things when it comes to Malcolm, there's things that I think people just didn't didn't really catch from. Watching it, we're not we're not really watching it, but seeing and hearing about Malcolm from afar. 
I mentioned something to you earlier about uh, something that Uncle Washington told me. And ever since he told me this, I've always looked at Malcolm different. And one thing that he told me, he said that Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X both died broke. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And he said when you, he was like, when I was in New York and we seen the people from the nation, mm-hmm. he was like, they was always buttoned up to the T. They always wore suits. They always, right. you know what I'm saying, proper, clean cut, all this type of stuff. He said, when you would look at the tailored suits that the Nation of Islam people wore, and you mm-hmm. looked at Malcolm, he said, you could tell Malcolm was poor. Mm-hmm. He said, Malcolm didn't have the same tailored suits that the other members had. Right. And then, ever since he said that, I, I looked different. And then when I, I was watching it, when I watched it again, the last two days, and I'm looking at these suits that he got on, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Aunt was 100% right. You can see it even when it's not in color. You can see that his suits don't look like the other members well, you of gotta, the Nation of Islam. Yeah, you got to remember that around the time of his assassination, he had already been out of the NOI for probably about like two to three years. So he was no, already... Even, even when he was with them. Well, that was... When he was with them, it was different because he he even said it himself, he was a servant of the people. He never was... Um, he didn't he didn't really use too much of the... Um, the services like I remember that um, I read somewhere where he used to they used to send the money and he would only use that money for whatever it was supposed to be used for. He wouldn't use it to get anything to eat or do anything like that. Like he was strictly, you know, what I'm saying like to the point, whatever he was supposed to be there for. That's what he was there for. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just interesting to to go back and look at it from from that standpoint. And for all the things and all the information that was given in this documentary was crazy, man. And to, yeah. and to think to think that there were one dude arrested on the scene, which he was injured while he was getting arrested, and that was Hare. And then two days later, then a day after that, you get Thomas... 15 times Johnson and then mm-hmm. Norman three times Butler, they get arrested and they claim their innocence the whole time. <clears throat> and I mean, that's what I got to correct you real quick. I got to correct you real quick. Cause you said 15 times it's 15 X, 15 X. Yeah. And then it's three X. And to, and to think that there was no investigation. Well, the need for an investigation. This is, true. this is and this is the and this is and, one of the things that I this is one of the things that I caught too, right? So remember when um his name was Herbert Stern. He was uh like the former DA dude or whatever that they were talking to in the bar. Mm-hmm. So when they were talking about um and they were talking about do you think you got the wrong people? So he was, you know what I'm saying? Like he kind of leaned up a little smug and started laughing and was like, Do you do you really think that, you know what I'm saying? That I that I would be here talking to you if I felt like we got the wrong people. It was like you think that's how the justice system works. You know what I mean? Like, and he said yeah. it like in a super smug way. 
but that just lets me know where his where his mind is and where his mind could have possibly been at at that time. Remember, he was at the bar when they called him and told him that Malcolm X had been assassinated. Mm-hmm. So he had you could tell he had the the smallest care in the world for the situation. He was only probably doing that because that was his job. And then he even said that there was no physical evidence to be collected. It's like, are you serious? But it was, but it was literally three guns. Yeah, with five three different shell cases. It was five in total, but they only got they only found three guns, or they knew of three guns. But it was it was five in total because apparently there were five men all together who had been a part of the assassination. And they only caught three. And the two, yeah, they, but the but the two was just basically there to start the distraction. The two, the two weren't even there. The the ones that got locked up, they weren't even there. Yeah, yeah, those two dudes. Yeah, yeah. Um, hold on, uh, let me see. Butler and Johnson, right? Butler and Johnson weren't there. The people that were there were. Oh my goodness! I didn't even write it down. I forgot. Uh, um, you got. You got William X, uh, Benjamin yep. Thomas, yep. Leon Davis. Yep. And then there was somebody that was supposed to be like Kirby or. Um, yeah, it was something like that. In the, in the hair. Is it Hare? Kirby or something like that. Yeah, Hare, he definitely Hare. was the one. He's the one that got shot by the bodyguard. Yeah. So he, they, they caught, they actually got footage of him getting saved by the police. Because remember, the, uh, the crowd had him. Yeah, they had him hemmed up. Yeah. Yeah. Because he got injured. In that um, right. all that commotion, um, but real quick, man, I want to give a um, I want to give a shout out to Abdul Rahman Muhammad, who was um, basically the centerpiece of this whole um, docu series. A lot of the information and the um, and the inspiration behind everything that was going on in this documentary is all off of his um, all all off of his research. Uh, yep. if if you if you guys have watched this and you're wondering why Abdur is um is talking so much in this documentary or you know what I'm saying they they're questioning him so much is because a lot of the information that they've gained and a lot of the information that they have been you know what I'm saying exposed to and privy to was because of his research. So um this whole documentary or docu series is basically based off of everything that he knows. And you know what I'm saying? He uh had the opportunities to go talk to certain people in the nation of Islam and um in the fruit of Islam as well to get some of this information. And you know what I'm saying, even him being a part of I believe he's a part of the nation, but even him being a part of that, uh he had the ability to record some of this stuff too. So um yeah, I just wanted to shout him out real quick because he was really the reason, you know what I'm saying, behind all of this. And also keep in mind, no law degree. Yeah, nothing. Like he 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 did this research. Yeah, independent research because he was just fascinated with this case because he's like, yo, like there are two men who has been proclaiming their innocence the whole time. Right. And not only that, the dude that is locked up that's actually talking releases the names of the four other accomplices that was with him. And there was no further investigation on this whole damn thing. Right. So it's 
it, it like to 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 go back and to watch it again because obviously when you watch something for the first time and then you go back and you watch it again because this was my second time around and you always notice different things when you watch something multiple times right and it's just to go back and see it for the second time and the dedication that this dude had and the disgust that he had like when he went to when he went to New Jersey, oh man, to look at the that uh, my heart. the to look at the uh the boxing gym that William mm-hmm. X had, and he was like, dude, like he's like it it kills me to see it, mm-hmm. to know that this was the man that was claimed to the one who actually killed him because they said the the shell that actually killed Malcolm X was from a sawed off shotgun, right. And he was the one that uh, Hare said had the shot, the uh, sawed-off shotgun. Right. And it's like for him to change his name, you know, he get a Muslim name. It was a uh, a uh, Astafa. Uh, what was it? Astafa Muhammad, I believe. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't Muhammad. No, I think it was for him to change his name and. To have a rap sheet that was as long as it was, but he was still out, able able to get a gym, able to be in the neighborhood and quote unquote uplift kids and all of this shit. It's just like, like the disgust on his face. Well, yeah, that's and that's what I'm. I I 100% agree, bro. That's why I said like. To me, that that's the that's really the the one that broke my heart. The fact that um, when they found out who actually did it, and he started actually going around asking questions because remember he was trying to get that person to um to you know what I'm saying to speak about it. He was gonna you know what I'm saying interview him and ask him some questions, and then you just start hearing all these people say you know what I'm saying leave it alone. You know what I'm saying this this don't. It's saying, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to find out, you know what I'm saying? And he was going around. Remember, they were saying like, yeah, everybody knew, everybody knew who did it, but you know what I'm saying? Nobody had the courage enough to, you know what I'm saying? Actually do something about it or even, you know what I'm saying? Not even do something about it, like even say something about it. So, you you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just letting us know that all of these years, everybody knew who did it. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew who, you know what I'm saying? Pulled the trigger that killed him. But nobody stepped up to get true justice. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, for years and years that, you know what I'm saying, when it was all said and done, this was like a secret that was being held, not even just in the in the um, Islamic community, but just in the black community. You know what I'm saying? The fact that people knew who this guy was, people knew that he was walking amongst everybody and nothing was being done. To me, that broke my heart because it was like, you know, you got somebody who, unfortunately, you know what I'm saying, had, had their life taken away because he just wanted the the advancement of, you know what I'm saying, of our people, of people that look like us. And, you know what I'm saying, like you said, he wasn't doing this for money. He wasn't doing this for nothing else, but strictly for, you know what I'm saying, the benefit of all Black people in this nation. So the fact that we know that he wasn't, you know what I'm saying, doing it for a profit or he wasn't, you know what I'm saying, 
the the and then the crazy part about even that is the day that he went up to go speak, you know what I'm saying? He told him like, yo, he was like, it's gonna be an attempt on my life. And they was like, well, why don't you just go home if you don't feel good about it? He was like, nah, they they need to hear, you know what I'm saying? They want to hear about my house getting bombed. So I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna talk to him. So the fact that he even still went there um and even gave even attempted to give a speech, you know what I'm saying? And, and he showed that, you know what I'm saying, his his beliefs was way bigger than, you know what I'm saying, his fears. That just lets you know just how special he was for real, bro. And, and the fact that people could let somebody just be walking around that, you know what I'm saying, that took, you know what I'm saying, him from us. It's just crazy. So let's get into it, man. Like, yeah. the the one thing about the Nation of Islam that I personally never really liked was the fact of high well, how Elijah Muhammad was held. Like, mm-hmm. I can't worship another man that walks the earth. I can't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care how great your ideas are. I don't care how smart you are. Like, at the end of the day, we all drink, spit, shit, all that type of shit the same. So I, mm-hmm. I, I never really got down with how this man was viewed. And so that was the one thing that always, you know, turned me off. And like how Malcolm always <clears throat> would talk so highly of him, you know, how right. he changed his life. And, you know, the honorable Elijah Muhammad would say and all this type of stuff. And and, and and it's cool. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's his beliefs. That's how he can rock with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like at the end of the day, like we all here and we all got flaws. And when his flaws was starting to surface, uh, which they also give you a depiction of this in um, The Godfather of Harlem. Mm-hmm. The Godfather of Harlem, in the first season, I still got to watch the second season, but in the first season, like, people was going around and talking to these girls that, that were teenagers at the time mm-hmm. and saying how Elijah Muhammad is the father of their child, all this type shit. And um, but his his following, his base was was so enamored with the good things that he done. Like it didn't really do nothing to him. Like well, his following stayed following him. Basically, you gotta you also gotta understand this too, right? So, um, I I kind of understand where you're coming from, only because you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not Muslim. So that's like basically saying that you don't understand why people fuck with Jesus. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because technically he was but, he's a he's a prophet. He's not he's not sitting here to be idolized or worshipped, but his word is the closest word to God. So if he says something to you, then you don't take that as his word. You take that as the word of God, not because, you know what I'm saying? This is something that he's saying because you understand that he's the prophet sent by God, right? That's the thought process of it all. So when they speak of Elijah Muhammad or when they speak of Louis Farrakhan, this is what this is the way that they're looking at it. They're, they're looking at it in the sense of being the prophet, right? The same way they would look at Moses or, you know what I'm saying, anybody else that's considered prophetic. Um the same way that they they would do Muhammad, 
you know what I mean, in in um in Islam. So when when these men are speaking, it's not or when these men are saying something or when people are speaking of these men, it's not in the sense of they're idolizing these men. They're idolizing um they're idolizing Allah. However, it's just that the word of Allah is sent through is or is used. Yeah, it's sent through these people who are basically being considered vessels for um the word of Allah or the word of God, whoever, you know what I'm saying, whatever religion you're in. Um, but that's just, to me, that, that's always the way that I looked at it. I never looked at it as like they idolized them. I think that um, with the situation that had happened with Elijah Muhammad, him having underage wives and um, bearing kids with them, I thought that was, of course, you know what I'm saying, of course it's wrong, but under the rules of Islam, though, you really can't say that it's wrong because, like, that's technically, you know what I'm saying, the lifestyle that's lived in Islam. So, you know what I'm saying, of course, if you on the, you know what I'm saying, the law of the land is the rule, but at the same time, you know what I'm saying, that religion is what that religion is. So I don't I don't agree with it, but I, I understand. Um so yeah, that, that's right now. That's all I got. But yeah, I I just wanted to get that real quick. Yeah, and, and even even when Malcolm called him out on it, like it didn't it didn't make a dent. But like when you look at James, when you look at James Sabat, uh, mm-hmm. Sabat's right. So he was the one that was sent to New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey uh, Muhammad Mosque uh, number twenty five. Mm-hmm. Now he was originally in New York, but he always had a beef with Malcolm. He always felt that Malcolm was, you know, he loved the spotlight. Malcolm wanted to be second in command. Mm-hmm. Like every every time they showed an old interview of him, like he had nothing but negative things to say about Malcolm. Right, and he felt that Malcolm's morals was different from what the nation of Islam was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Now, granted. Malcolm was a little different because Malcolm was more political. Elijah Muhammad was more religion. So, and and Malcolm also was more bluntly with the things that he was trying to say and getting his points across. And James uh, Sebaz really didn't like that shit. And Mm -hmm. I just think that it it is a coincidence that he ended up going to that um, to the New Jersey um, at Mosh number 25 because mm-hmm. what the word is that's is where the other four, those four yeah that's where yeah. the other four men came from I understand yeah you know coincidences happen and all this type shit but I don't know man I, I think that I think that this situation is when there's smoke there's fire well I feel I, like um, I feel like that Somehow, some way, um, somebody from the NOI has something to do with it. Of course, they was involved um, because we know at the time um, informants were everywhere. You know what I'm saying? They we seen in the docu series where they had actual um, reports of what they called um, was it top lev or. Was it was it top? I think it was top lev 
um informants. Yeah, like top yeah, level yeah, informants. yeah. Top level informants. So yeah. that that meant that those were the closest to Elijah Muhammad. And remember, at the time, Elijah Muhammad was the most feared black man in America. Think about that. Like he's the he's the most feared black man in America at this time. Not Martin Luther King, not Malcolm X, not Megar Evers, not the Panthers, you know what I'm saying? Not not um Brother Fred, none of these people. It's Elijah Muhammad because he's actually getting these people to change their lives, right? He's actually getting these people to be better. So you got, you know what I'm saying, a man who is teaching black people how to properly eat for their bodies. He's teaching them how to properly live. Um, he's teaching them how to defend themselves. You know what I'm saying? He's teaching them how to, to um, properly worship. Like all these, well, and I don't want to say properly worship because that's up for interpretation. But I'm just saying like the the rules that were set from the nation of Islam and given to the members um, to this day to me are probably some of the... Uh, some of the best guidelines that black people could live through. You know what I'm saying? As far as um, if anybody hasn't read the book um, by Elijah Muhammad. Um, oh my goodness. What is this book called? Um, it's, it's message. The one of them is message to the black man. Um, and the other one, give me one minute. I'm about to find it. Why are you doing that? Another mm -hmm. thing was, I think that adds to the point of him being the most dangerous man is the fact of all the businesses that he had and how the nation of Islam basically started their own economy yeah, and they yeah. didn't have to get taxed. So yeah. all the profit money that they was getting, they weren't getting taxed for it as well. Right, because it was technically under religion. So, um, but yeah, it was the one of the first book is message to the message to the black man. The second book is how to eat to live. And, um, those are those are some of the books to this day that I even go back and read myself, especially Message to the Black Man. But um, I think that it was super important to for people to see the the unity that was, you know, what I'm saying that was there. You know, what I'm saying not only did they have um, an actual community, right? They had their own religion. They had they had a flag. You know, what I'm saying they had, um, like you said, a sustainable economy. Um, they had a military. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this was this was a real live version of what sovereignty could be for black people at the time. So, you know, what I'm saying this is this is a man who was ahead of all of this. So this is the most feared black man in America at the time. Uh, um, eventually, what ended up happening is um, he kind of passed the torch to Malcolm X and they knew what Malcolm was capable of. Right. This is a guy who's fresh off the streets. This is a guy who has probably a rap sheet longer than anybody that they've been looking at so far. Um, but they, he even got him to turn his life around and become this great orator. So if he could do that with him, imagine what he could do with the rest of the country. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. I see. I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. And like, we also, even, even with, When you think about the question of uh -huh. who killed Malcolm X, right? Uh -huh. To me, I think with that question, the FBI, 
and the Nation of Islam, to me, it goes hand in hand. Because I believe with all of the information that was given, and then when you think about James survives uh, three times, when you think about John Ali, who was with, let me see, they was locked up together. Him and Elijah Muhammad was locked up together. And when they came out, like they started their rise. And that's another thing. You can't start a rise like by yourself. You got to have somebody. Like somebody has to be there with you along this journey. And it was John Ali. John Ali was a little upset with Malcolm as well because he felt that, like, yo, like I was with you when, you know what I'm saying, when we both was down and, you know, we both built this thing together. Like, yeah, you get all of the, you get all the praise and you like, you the head guy. And that's fine, but like he just felt that he was being jumped by Malcolm. And I think, I think the charisma and the uh, the ability that Malcolm X had to be able to speak. I don't think they had nobody in that organization that could speak the way that Malcolm spoke. Well, no, because you're one hundred percent, and you're right about that. But the reason that they didn't have that is because you have to understand like where this man came from, right? This man was born in Malcolm Little in Omaha, Nebraska. He was ran out, you know what I'm saying, after his father got killed by the Ku Klux Klan. His mother had, you know what I'm saying, I believe he had, it was a total of like six or seven of of the kids all together. Um, his mother ended up going crazy. They ended up removing them from the mother and putting them into foster care. So he had to go through foster care. As he's growing up and getting older, he starts running the streets. As he's running the streets, then he starts basically, you know what I'm saying, taking care of himself. As he's taking care of himself, he ends up finding a way to get to Detroit. He gets to Detroit, everything changes. He becomes Detroit Red. He's no longer Malcolm Little anymore. Now he's a street thug. After getting locked up in, you know what I'm saying, Detroit, changing his life around, gets off drugs, you know what I'm saying, he's changing his religion and everything else. Next thing you know, once he leaves, he meets Elijah Muhammad, becomes Malcolm X. So his transformations through life really built him to be able to, um, to be able to relate to all walks of life. You know what I'm saying? This isn't just some guy who, like I said, was just a, a street thug or whatever, and then eventually he just became one of the best orators. No, this is somebody who literally was able to connect with multiple people in every walk of life. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I don't remember them speaking much about his highs to Mecca, but even even in his highs to Mecca, like he when he came back from that, his whole mindset changed, right? Because he was starting to see that Muslims just weren't black people. He started to see white Muslims with blonde hair and blue eyes. He started to see Indian Muslims and Chinese Muslims, and he got to, he got a chance to see how diverse Islam really was. And so when he comes back from Mecca. And then now he's going into, you know what I'm saying, into America or coming back to America and getting to see just the real treatment of what it is, even as as, div- as diverse as America is, he knows what true diversity is. He knows what true equality is. He knows what um, true equity is, right? Because he just he just experienced what it all was on his on his highs to Mecca. So now that when he gets to America, he realizes, okay. I got to do something bigger than what I've been doing because now this ain't just about, you know what I'm saying? This ain't just about 
us no more. This is this is a, just an issue with this country. This is an issue everywhere. So now when he's speaking, because you mentioned it earlier, how he got super political. Yeah, it, it becomes political because when you get a chance to see somewhere else outside the world and you see that you're not treated that way and then you come back home, this is where you're born and raised. This is really all you know. And then when you see that this is how you treat it, you like, okay, something ain't right. And so for him to be able to speak out against the politicians and the, you know what I'm saying, and the system and everything else like that, I think that um, I think that was a huge reason why. Because, you know what I'm saying, like I said, he got to see that diversity for real. He got to see what it was really about amongst, you know what I'm saying, his fellow, um, his fellow Muslims. Yeah. And I also think that when things really, really started to change, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Malcolm always had a strong approach to what he was doing. Right. I think when Ronald Stokes got shot and killed 100%. out in L.A., I think that's when a lot of shit changed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that the thing with Malcolm, he was always blunt. But, like, after this, it, it got worse. Because it got personal. You know? Yeah, it got personal because he was like, you know what I'm saying, this young kids get shot and killed when he was surrendering. So mm-hmm. Malcolm took it personal because he he's had conversations with Ronald Stokes. Like they was actually friends. Like every time he yeah. went to LA, like him, mm-hmm. they always linked up. Well, he and remember he was one of the ones that was helping him build the mosque out there too. Exactly. Yeah. And so he, he really took that personal and I think that, you know the statement that Malcolm made in December of 63 about the chickens coming home to roost yeah. when it um talked about Kennedy. Uh, MLK. Not MLK, no, but JFK. Yeah. So when JFK got shot, like, they told Malcolm not to speak on it. They were just well, like, look. Good, good point, because this is also when he's starting to get um basically banned from the NOI. Exactly. Yeah. And like so, now he did what they said. He he went a while without saying anything, and then it was like two months later, he is, you know, doing doing a, a speaking, and at the very end, somebody asked him one question. He was like, "Yo, that's like chickens coming home to roost." Mm-hmm. And so then, the way the papers put it, they put it as in he was glad that JFK got shot. He was like, "Nah, that's not what I meant." He was just like. You know, we live. We live in a how you put it. We live in a, a violent society, and he yeah. was just like, you know, when I made that statement, it was just saying like, yo, like, you should have known this was gonna happen for what this mm-hmm. man was doing. You should have known that this was gonna happen, mm-hmm. and like, so he was trying to justify his statement, <clears throat> and the Nation of Islam, you know, suspended him for ninety days, right, and so he went. Completely ghost, except when he went down to Miami, was having the conversations with, uh, at the time, Classes uh, Clay, mm-hmm. you know, and then ended up getting him in. And the crazy thing about that is that's why I need, I, I didn't get a chance to watch that new one. I'm, I'm going to get man. into that. Yeah. But, um, but to see how he was the bridge mm-hmm. in getting Muhammad Ali in there mm-hmm. and then right off the rip, Muhammad Ali had to make a decision to mm-hmm. either rock with Malcolm, the person who basically got him in, even though he's been looking into it, I think he said in like for like two years, but he really didn't join the nation 
full fledged until Malcolm came down to Miami to come talk to him. Right. And right. then right off the rip, he had to make a decision. He went with Elijah Muhammad because Elijah Muhammad had stuff to give. At the time, Malcolm didn't have anything to give. He didn't have anything to offer at the time because he was well, suspended and the Nation of Islam was really, you know, pushing mm-hmm. him away at this point. Well, you also got to remember, too, that um, not only was the nation pushing him away, you know, there was fear in the nation that he was trying to replace Elijah Muhammad because he was garnering so much attention. He was gaining so much popularity, not just amongst the members of the NOI, but the members of the black community in general. You know what I'm saying? He was technically being looked at as the black as a black nationalist nationalist leader, um, not just from the media, but from the people, you know what I'm saying, all together. Um, he was, you know what I'm saying, when you have somebody who speaks up and they're not afraid to, you know what I'm saying, speak back about, you know what I'm saying, somebody attacking. Remember when he was talking about Martin Luther King, he said, you know what I'm saying, Martin Luther King, wants he basically wants us to, you know what I'm saying, continue to be oppressed. He basically wants us to turn the other cheek as we're getting attacked. He said, you know what I'm saying, that's not, that's not what we taught to do. We taught to fight back. You know what I'm saying, if somebody attacks you, you know what I'm saying? You more than welcome you put your to put your hands on them, you know what I'm saying, just as much as they put their hands on you, you know what I'm saying? You defend yourself by any means necessary. And so, you know what I'm saying, when somebody's preaching that, and then you got all of these people who getting, you know what I'm saying, hit with water hoses and attacked by dogs, and you start to hear that rhetoric, everything is, you know what I'm saying, different because now it's like, yeah, this is what we've been trying to do this whole time. Like, yeah, okay, so now we got somebody talking about fighting back. Now we got somebody who's talking about, you know what I'm saying, us going to get our guns and, you know what I'm saying, and shooting at them instead of just sitting there being shot at or throwing bricks back, you know what I'm saying, or shit, you know what I'm saying, hitting some of these dogs that's coming after us. So, you know what I'm saying, when you start to hear that rhetoric amongst, um, you know what I'm saying, amongst the situation that was going on with, the, you know what I'm saying, the marching and everything else and, and the nonviolence, you get a lot of those people that's starting to move over to that side and, you know what I'm saying, starting to stand behind Malcolm. Yeah, but <laughs> also the Nation of Islam had to realize that they they memberships a whole lot higher when Malcolm was speaking. 100%. So Malcolm brought a lot of people in talking the way that he talked, but then at the same time, up north, people are more aggressive up north than they are down that's south. True. Like, like I think that that movement that Malcolm was not Malcolm but that Martin Dr. Martin Luther King was doing, it was more accessible to the people in the South because the people in the South still there was more opportunity for someone to get home for a tree down in the South than it is for somebody up north. Like that, it was just I do people still getting lynched down here. Nigga, this niggas getting lynched in California, my G. California is different. I said up north, uh, nigga. Up north, like that's it's a, it's places where niggas was getting uh was getting hung up there too. But I'm saying like that, that, like people are people are getting hung everywhere. But what I'm saying like, is they're one of the backwards. most racist places in in America is Boston, Massachusetts, bro. Think about that. Like Boston. when they talk, think about how when they talk about Harriet Tubman, right? When Harriet Tubman was freeing slaves, she was freeing them niggas from Connecticut, my nigga. She wasn't freeing them niggas from the south. Think about that. She did go to the South for a couple trips. Bro, she was freeing niggas from Connecticut, my nigga. Well, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. I know that. What I'm saying is, when it comes to the South, right? 
for n- number one, you're outnumbered down here, especially well, during no, those yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm not, and I don't want to make it seem like it's a, it's a, a contest. It's, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, it's, it yeah. Like I don't mean it that I, way. I understand what you mean because of Jim Crow, because of you know, what I'm saying like literally being a Texas being the last state to have slavery. Um, you know, what I'm saying having um. You know what I'm saying? So so much going on, slave codes and everything else like that, black codes, you know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. Like, so yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's just I, I feel like it's the country in general. Like I, I don't like the fact that people try to make it seem as if like the South is just like this hotbed of racism. When it's like, yo, you can go to the South, bro, and you can be way i mean like you can make way more white friends than you ever could going to minnesota my nigga you know what i'm saying like with the ease yeah but it's yeah, like, like go ahead yeah that, during those times like uncle Washington will always say this to me he was like in the south it was just more blatant right it's in your uh, face color like colors here whites here mm-hmm. he said up north it was redlining yep. he said what they would do to us up north is he said this happened to him before walking to a restaurant. No waitress ever come up to him. Mm-hmm. Nobody, and they just basically would not take your order. Right. He was like, in the South, they're getting a mob and they're pulling your ass out of there. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was that's what I meant by like the people were more aggressive in the North because the racism was just a little different than it was down here. And then you was a whole lot outnumbered. And then you had then the mentality is everywhere because mm-hmm. everybody talk about the black migration. There was a white migration as well. Like it's a lot of those people migration. from the South. They, yeah, and, but also, like you said, a lot of them motherfuckers moved mm-hmm. to like Utah and Montana and all that mm-hmm. type shit. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you might not make no white friends in Minnesota some shit. Fuck a lot man. of them motherfuckers came from the South with that South yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. So, because they just felt that the the whole thing about racism that's so crazy is it's like, yeah, there are a lot of situations where white people take over. But don't also remember Compton was all white. Mm-hmm. Those motherfuckers moved out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The there were there are cases that where a lot of cities that was very white and then it switched over to black. But a lot of times switched over to black because they just said, look, we'll let them motherfuckers have this shit. We'll dip out. Because when you look at a lot of those places like Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, that people say South Dakota is like some of the racist motherfuckers ever. But at the same time, there ain't no black people there either. Right. So a lot of them just moved there because they were like, black people ain't going to come here. I want to go somewhere where I see my people. And yeah. like that's basically what they did. So the only thing that I was trying to say there was it was easier for Dr. Martin Luther King to find those people to do a nonviolence protest. Mm-hmm. And it was easier for Malcolm to find people that was with the violence. You know what I'm saying? That was with the smoke. Because- but see, that's the that's the that's another misconception too, bro. Like what a lot of people don't realize is Martin Luther King wasn't never on some nonviolent shit. He never was on nonviolent shit. That didn't have shit to do with Martin Luther King. That had shit to do with the church and the SCLC and SNCC and all them organizations because they understood the, you know, saying the proper game plan to go about. Because if you look like a victim, right, 
then everybody's going to be more willing to help you. You, nobody's going to help you if you're fighting back and defending yourself. If you don't defend yourself and you go out here in these marches and you do everything you're supposed to do and you don't fight back and you're getting attacked and everything else, after a while, these motherfuckers are going to start looking like monsters. With, yeah, that's what happened Malcolm, in Montgomery. Yeah, with Malcolm, his his thing was never violence. His thing was, I mean, as we would say today, keep that same energy. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to swing on me, okay, swing on me. Just don't don't trip when I swing back on you. His was self-defense. It wasn't never a thing about violence. It was I'm going to defend myself. I'm not and that's what the that's what the FOI was even all about. Like the NOI having the FOI like you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be a victim. I'm never going to be a victim because that's not who I am. I know who I am. I know what I represent and I know what I'm about. So if you put your hands on me, I reserve every right to put my hands back on you. You know what I'm saying? I have every right to, I mean, every, I reserve every right to defend myself. And that's all it was. It was just self-defense. People forget that before Martin Luther King passed and he was interviewed, he said, I feel that I took my people and brought them into um, a burning building as far as integration goes. Right. They also forget that he was about to turn shit up for real when he was doing the poor people's movement because he was, a, he was about to start getting veterans who were, um, who were getting out of the military and getting out of war. And he was going to use them as, um, as bodyguards. And as far as protecting them when they're going to marching and doing everything else. So that's another reason he started getting killed because a lot of people don't know that Malcolm funded a lot of the shit Martin was doing. He put a lot of shit, you know, so he put a lot of money behind that. And then vice versa, Martin did the same thing for Malcolm. So they was, you know what I'm saying? They was still, even though that in the in the public eye, they was doing, you know what I'm saying, a lot to each other and saying a lot about each other. At the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? They were making sure that they were, you know, getting together and talking about certain things. And once Malcolm uh, uh, had passed, you know what I'm saying, um, Coretta had a lot to, you know what I'm saying? She had a lot to say. And she was she she did a lot of um communicating with um Dr. Betty Shabazz and, and making sure that, you know what I'm saying, the family was okay and everything else. So it was it was real, real different, man. It was real different um compared to what the media was showing and what we've learned in our history books. Yeah, and and what I meant by what you said, like, and I always say this. And, and it was my father taking full responsibility for it because I misspoke. The thing is, is the media is going to portray it right. as violence when it right. go that way. Right. I mean, that's just that's just like with the with the Black Panthers, like when they oh, showed man, up, yeah. you know, when they showed up on um, in Sacramento, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying, with their guns out, the law stated that you could have an assault rifle, mm -hmm. but it just can't be loaded. That's right. exactly what they did. But the media painted it to be, are oh, they out here with guns threatening people? And you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they threatened the Capitol building and all this type of shit. So, like, the media made it seem like they were violent. But like you said, and like I misspoke on, it was self-defense. But the white community is not going to view it that way. Because it's, gonna, I think cause the media plays on the ignorance of the masses. And yeah. so... You know what I'm saying? They already are out here saying that black people are thugs and criminals and everything else. So now that you have an image to go along with that that narrative and you send these papers out to these white people, the first thing that they're going to think is, oh, no, all of this shit is true because this is all they've been reading. They don't have 
common interactions with black people every day. And then even the black people that they do have common interactions with aren't like the black people that they're seeing in the paper or on the news, because these are probably people that's working for them or, you know what I'm saying? People they are paying to do shit. So, you know what I'm saying? They're probably as docile as possible just to make sure they keep their job to put food on the table. And so when they finally see black people doing the same thing that they're doing a lot of the times, you know what I'm saying? Like shit gets crazy, you know, like, remember this past year speaking of you know what i'm saying black people was getting shot down in the in the uh in the streets just for getting out of a fucking car but you got all of these people taking over the fucking capitol building nothing happens you know what i'm saying so it just it, it just goes to show you just what kind of country we live in what the mindset of the people that run this country is and just it's just sick bro Man, absolutely right, man. But, you know, Arthur Filton, you know, he was uh, assigned to the case in 1960 Mm -hmm. with the FBI. And um, so when Malcolm basically left the Nation of Islam and was doing his own thing, Filton went to uh, talk to Malcolm, you know, at his home, came to his home. And he said that he didn't even know Malcolm was recording him. Mm -hmm. So Malcolm recorded the whole uh, conversation because he tried to flip him. Yeah, and he was just like you know Malcolm basically he knew Malcolm wasn't going to go for it but he was just like you know I got to do my job I got to make an attempt to -hmm. see if I could get him to flip on the Nation of Islam and um, everything that Elijah Muhammad was doing and uh, so it was a failed attempt and uh, two months later that he uh, he ended up dying like after that had happened but so let's get more into uh, you know what I'm saying William X Bradley you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying so when this is the part that tripped me out the most what tripped me out the most was the the video of all the commotion after Malcolm X got shot and Mm -hmm. then went outside and so they was taping outside and when um when hair is it hair what's his name it is Um, um, hair, hair, hair. Mm-hmm. So when hair was getting beat up, and you, like you said, the police saved him. Mm-hmm. William X walks right past the fucking screen, my guy. Yeah. Like when the first time I seen that shit. Because you gotta remember, it was a, it was one common it was one common person that everybody kept mentioning. And that was the big black burly dude in the gray coat. And they said that he walked up initially. But I think that after everything was happening, I think the commotion was because of um, Bradley. I think he was the one doing the commotion, the quote-unquote, get your hand out of my pocket, all that shit. Because um, everybody else, like I said, everybody else kept mentioning the – I said Bradley. I meant to say uh, hair. But everybody else kept mentioning this big black burly dude in the gray trench coat. Mm-hmm. Everybody, that's that's a that's a, a common, you know what I'm saying? That's a common thing across the board. And then you got, they also mentioned somebody who's causing a whole bunch of commotion. So I think that hair um, was the one causing the commotion. And that's why everybody was on him so tough. It, it was just crazy to think that this out of all of this 
what like what are the odds that this dude walks right past the screen? Like, I mean, that shit, shit. What is, like, bro, they went and got. It was initially five people. Then they cut it down to three people. They caught one dude that was actually there, and then went to go get two other people that was never there. So you know what I'm saying? Like that just lets you know how much they didn't care about the situation. Not only that, the police the police only had two people on duty at the time, and they weren't even in the vicinity of what was going on. Okay, now with that, the police asked Malcolm, "Did he want protection?" And he said he didn't want their protection. It don't it don't even matter now. But but the biggest thing to me, because you said that they didn't care. This is what told me they didn't care. Mm-hmm. So, like twenty years later, they did an interview at the Autobahn Ballroom, mm-hmm. and so they tried to recreate what it looked like that day. And they had the fucking podium, yeah, that Malcolm spoke behind, still there with the bullet hole, still, still there. And and the dude was like, "Hold on, like, where did you get this from?" He's like, "Oh, it was in the basement." So you telling me this thing is not in no evidence room somewhere? No, no evidence locker, no nothing, bro. It's in the basement, and that right there is like yo. And then for that one cop to sit there and say there was no, there was no physical evidence to collect. There's a whole fucking podium that was shot up, but he was standing behind. It was bullet casings everywhere. What do you mean? Yeah, and it's like. And it's and it's just sitting at the bottom. And then, like Uncle Washington said, there was a dance that was scheduled to be there later Bro, that night. At and it seven still PM, went down. They cleaned it up. They cleaned it up and let the dance go on with bullet holes still in the wall and everything, bro. Dude, it it, it is it is nuts. Listen, it happened. The, it was a call made to the police right at three forty five. So that means between three forty five and seven p.m., bro. And really, a little bit earlier than seven p.m. That means that it took them maybe two, two and a half hours to clean that place up and get it ready for this so-called dance. Nuts, my guy! That's completely sick, nuts, man. It is sick. So another part that was crazy, and it was interesting to hear Cory Booker this way. So nah, I hate when they was talking to Cor- uh, Senator. Corey Booker, <laughs> and that was like, have you heard of you know William X. Bradley? He was like, yeah, 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 I know him, I know him. You know, he's from here around the way. Yeah, and they was like, did you ever hear that he is the you know one of the prime suspects in shooting Malcolm? He was like, nah, never heard it, never heard it. He's still confident at this point. Mm-hmm. And it was like, he's in one of your campaign videos. It's like, really? They're like, yeah. So they they show him the video, and then. Dude, all that politician talk went out the yeah. window. Yeah. The thing about politicians is everything is scripted for them. Mm-hmm. They know every question is coming. Mm-hmm. They know all they, they they got two to three answers to go with a question. Like they they mm-hmm. know he had nothing. I mean, like what can he you was, say? What can you say he, to that though? He just like he just like oh well you know we we got we got to see the evidence you know we mm-hmm. you know we got it. It was just like. It was just weird because he, he always talked so confident. You know what well, I'm saying? Well, like, to me, I don't even think he knew the the situation behind that to even begin with. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you know what he what would because he, he didn't seem prepared for that. But but how can you be though? No nobody I mean, knew nobody knew anything about this for real. 
Like, think about that. Except like, they the people us, in that community. 100%. So, you know what I'm saying? Growing up, they telling us that, you know what I'm saying, Malcolm X was just assassinated by the members, you know what I'm saying, of the Nation of Islam. Yeah. You don't even you don't even know that, you know what I'm saying, it was um informants all throughout the nation of Islam, just like it was with Malcolm. You don't I mean with Martin, you know what I'm saying? Um, you don't even realize that all of these people who we think are members of the nation ain't really even members of the nation. They just happen to be tagging along, you know what I'm saying? Like even the people in the Audubon ballroom that day, a lot of them weren't even Muslim. Yeah. That was you know there to speak to see if they wanted to, you know what I'm saying, become exactly. a Muslim. Exactly. So, you know what I'm saying, that just goes to show you how, you know what I'm saying, how anybody could have been in the crowd that night. You know what I'm saying? We seen this the same thing with Brother Fred. You know what I'm saying? When um he he had did the um the speech right after he got out and he he said it himself. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure it's a, a few of y'all in here that's informants. You know what I'm saying? Like so matter of fact, um Martin Luther King knew of an informant <laughs> as he was doing everything because they wouldn't even say certain stuff around him while the, you know what I'm saying when they would have meetings. So that just goes to let you know like the FBI, the CIA and all these other different organizations in America, like they were really trying to disrupt a lot of whatever they thought was going on. They had, you know what I'm saying, especially the FBI, they had a lot of, you know what I'm saying, ill will and malicious intent towards us. Like they had a whole program called COINTELPRO. Counter the counterintelligence program for not not a military, not a terrorist organization, none of that. Just for strictly black people. Whenever yep. black people get together, they was like, yo, yep. we we need to find out what they're doing. To so I mean to prevent the uh <laughs> the rise of a black messiah. Not even that, just in ge- the rise of black people in general, bro. Like the fact that you know what I'm saying? This man was just speaking to uplift black people. The fact that Elijah Muhammad is the most feared black person in America, bro, because he's making sure that black people are eating right. He's making sure that black people are taking care of themselves and their families. You know what I'm saying? Making sure they're exercising, just doing the basic necessities as a human being. The fact that he has people doing that, he's the most feared black person in America. That just lets you know, you know what I'm saying, what we up against. Yeah. And Gene Roberts, right? Mm-hmm. So Gene Roberts was Malcolm Zett's bodyguard um, yeah. for those last couple of months. And he was actually right beside, well, he was right beside the stage when Malcolm got shot. Mm-hmm. He said that when the when the whole commotion started to happen, you know, get your hand on my pocket, you're trying to steal my wallet thing. Mm-hmm. He stepped towards that situation and then that's when Malcolm got shot, and that's why he wasn't there. So he talked about it, and he said that he started to perform CPR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he That was said, him in the picture? Yeah, that was him in the picture. Yeah. And he was like, I'm starting to get tired. And he was like, that's when Dr. Ben Sebastian came down and, and tried to do it. But at this point, you know, he was already gone. Yeah. And so he was like, yeah. You know, I wasn't an informant. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't have any idea that he was an informant. And he got a lot of pushback because the picture came out of him giving him CPR. And the mm-hmm. cops was like, yo, like, what are you doing? He was like, look, man, at the end of the day, I'm a cop. You know what I'm saying? I don't let somebody die. Like, 
even if y'all want him for whatever it y'all want him for, it's still my job to protect and serve. Right. Even though I'm undercover, you know, I got to try to save his life. And he took a lot of flack for doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he did that because he actually started to care about Malcolm or if he he said he did it because it was his job. We don't know. I don't think he would ever tell the truth on that situation or maybe he did. But what was also interesting was the FBI said they had nine informants there that day. The crazy part about the whole thing is out of all of those eyewitnesses, they didn't interview none of the nine informants that was there that day. Think, but not even that, bro. Think about that. You got nine informants. That means that's nine qualified people, right? Because nine times out of ten, if they informants in the NOI, then nine times out of ten, they either work for the FBI, they work for the New York City Police Department or whatever, but they train, they have some sort of training. You mean to tell me that y'all sat back and let that man get killed? I think the whole – so I'm going to get my theory because we're getting close to the end of the pod. Right. Like I said, I think the FBI and the Nation of Islam both was involved. And I think and that – I don't – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And how William X. Bradley is walking around here unscathed all these years after – Well, he's even dead, all he might be now, but I mean, at the time of this document documentary, he was dead. I don't think they said he, if he died or not. I don't. I don't remember. I, I, I thought he was dead. But well, this this is what I mean by that. For him to have a rap sheet that he had, and to still change his name, and still get arrested under his Muslim name as well. Mm-hmm. They sent him in there to do that. Like, I think this is my theory. Gene Roberts knew that it was going to go down that day. I think they all knew, man. I, I think, think they all he had something to do with that shit. It was probably his idea to say, "Yo, you got to start a commotion, say somebody trying to steal your wallet or something," and that's yeah. going to get me out of the way, or it's going to give me time to be able to do what I need to do, and then we get out exactly. Of it. Um, um, I, I want to say that I don't think that the nation had anything to do with it. Like, not, I'm not saying that they didn't or they did. I'm saying that I don't think this was their intention, right? Um, because Elijah Muhammad specifically said that he didn't want anybody touching Malcolm. X. Um, I think that he still had a lot of love for Malcolm. I think that them as a group had a lot of love for Malcolm. I feel like they just felt like they couldn't control Malcolm. Um. I think that what ended up happening was just like any other organization. Um, I, I feel like the actions of a few is not indicative of a whole organization in general. Um, but the same thing with the Panthers, same thing with um, um, Martin Luther, the, the, you know, some Martin Luther King's movement with SCLC, SNCC, and all them. Um, same, same thing with the NOI. I think that you know, what I'm saying these government organizations got a hold of a few people. And unfortunately, those people weren't as loyal as we feel like they should have been. And, um, you know, what I'm saying their actions caused the lives of some very important people in our history. Um, and I, I, I just I hate to even hear that, you know what I'm saying? 
just knowing that, you know what I'm saying, we all just watched a movie where this was, you know what I'm saying, we just watched a movie about an informant who, you know what I'm saying, helped to get um, Brother Fred assassinated. You know what I mean? Like, just think about that. They made, we, we literally just watched a movie about that. We we just did a movie about that. So it just, it went, it goes to show you that, you know what I'm saying, any of this shit could be possible. You know what I'm saying? J. Edgar Hoover is a, man, yeah, I, I don't J. know, man. It's J. Edgar, J. Edgar is the, is the, is the biggest gangster that ever touched. I, I wouldn't even here. give him, I wouldn't even give him the, but, the kudos to calling him a gangster. He's a coward. I mean, that he is. He hated himself. One, yeah, he hated himself being gay. Bro, he, he wrote. He wrote in that. He wrote in. Um, I forgot. I don't know if this was. I don't even think this was the doc. Was this the documentary where he had, he sent the note talking about you give us Negroes a bad name? No, that that was Judas and the Black Messiah. No, no, no. He he wrote. Okay, no, my, he wrote the letter to Martin Luther King. He was he he wrote he literally wrote a letter. They have they have it on file and everything. I, I want to say you could probably go to like the Library of Congress and look it up. But he wrote a letter to Martin Luther King and told Martin Luther King that you give us Negroes a bad name. You know the proper thing to do for, would be for you to kill yourself because people don't know J. Edgar Hoover was like mixed or some shit like that. Uh, well, I, I, I know this is my first time hearing it. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, I gotta find it. If I could find it, I'll post it up on the viewers anonymous um Instagram. But it just it just goes to show you like just how how deep the hate is for black people. The fact that you have this running through your veins and you still like you hate it so much that you still you even tried to use it to, you know what I'm saying, discombobulate a, a whole movement. All because, you know what I'm saying, you unfortunately, quote unquote, got a taste of the sweet life. And you know what I'm saying, you just felt like you was passing and you was too much of a coward to stand on something and you just decided to go with the flow. You know what I mean? I just yeah, I don't I don't fuck with dude. No, I mean I don't either. But I mean also man, like the the reason why I don't say I mean like you say, I would never say the whole group because like I would never lump anything all together. There's mm-hmm. always gonna be a few people to, you know, fuck some shit up. But like right. But one of the, another reason why I I believe that there was some involvement because when it when his house got bombed, mm-hmm. right, and so he went out and he spoke about how it was them. Now, the house got bombed after the uh they went to court because Malcolm was living in the house and Elijah Muhammad tried to say, "Yo, this is my house and I want you out." Mm-hmm. He tried to evict him. Malcolm ended up winning that case. Then all of a sudden. His house get bombed after he made the statements about him, you know, having children with. The, I would. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if the FBI had something to do with that either, only because. But they did. They damned this to try to cause a rift between Malcolm X, the um, and Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam. You know what I'm saying? They they did everything within their power. They're still doing it to this day, which is even crazy because they saying that Louis Farrakhan has something to do with Martin. Uh, I'm gonna say Martin Luther King, Malcolm X's death. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, just even the fact that even after his death, they still doing everything that they can to cause that rift. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're doing, they like, think about that, bro. This man has been dead since 65. 
And they still to this day are saying that he's involved in Malcolm X's death to cause a rift between black people in the black community. Everything you're saying is true, but at the same time, the FBI didn't make him say, make Elijah Muhammad say that he did it to himself. No, he didn't. But he did. He said it on camera. No, no, no I was. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. He and he, they didn't have him say that. But it's the same thing as Malcolm X saying the chickens came home to roost. You feel what I'm saying? It's I see what you're situation. saying. But I, I, I think the, I think the rise in, in the popularity of this man. I, I just think that I think Elijah Muhammad thought that he was going to fall off when they pushed him out. I don't think so. I think Elijah Muhammad knew exactly what he was doing because Elijah Muhammad was the one putting him in the forefront. I think that Elijah Muhammad wanted him to be next in line um, and, and and for him to eventually take that spot because Elijah Muhammad knew that he was going to be out of here soon. Um, I think the truth of the matter is, is that the government knew. And they seen what was happening. So they did everything within their power, like they always do, to get a hold of that and cause some catastrophe. I see what you're saying. But I, I, I just disagree because I just don't think he's the, the model that everybody believed that he is. I just think that everybody got flaws and there ain't no such thing as a perfect person. There's no perfect leader. I think that everybody got something. And I just think that this man has been betrayed to be the most perfect man in the world, and it's just like who's that? I do. Muhammad. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. that's I don't think that's how he's portrayed. I just once again, like I said, I think that when you have that, um, when you're supposed to be prophetic, right? Because they do the same thing with with Bishop T.D. Jakes. They did the same thing with Bishop Eddie Long. They do the same thing. They did the same thing with Joel Osteen. Um, who was the cool preacher? The dude that was always at basketball games and shit, and he was with Justin Bieber and shit. Oh, uh, Carl, Carl, uh, Carl, um, Carl Lynch, right? They did the same thing with him, and then they found out he was cheating. So I'm yeah, just like, the same thing. they did the same thing with John, Pastor John Gray. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, what I'm saying these people are human at the end of the day. They're not angels. They're not Jesus himself. They're not Muhammad himself. So at the end of the day, they're still humans. They do human things. I think that. Um, I think that the people's perception of them is what causes that. I don't think it's actually them because there's nothing there's, you can't find anything where Eliza Muhammad says, where he says, I'm the most perfect man, or I am a perfect man, or, you know what I'm saying? You never hear him say that. You never hear Louis Farrakhan say that. You never hear any of them say that. I think that's people's perception of these people. And because these people are in the positions that they're in, that people create that um, image of them. True, true, and and I mean, and I guess maybe some of the stuff because when they talked to that one guy, uh, I, I hate all these Muslim names. I can't pronounce all of them, mm-hmm. but um, the one historic uh, his, uh, historian guy, he was saying that they was reading the taps that they had on Elijah Muhammad, mm-hmm. and he said something. He was like, Malcolm, we got to get this taken care of. Or we got to take care of him, or something like that. And he was like there are certain ways that you would talk to, like there were certain ways that Elijah would talk to certain people. Mm-hmm. And he was like, and that group of people that he was talking to knew that mean to take Malcolm out when he said to take care of him. But see, that's, like, that's what I'm saying. Nah, I, I wouldn't even ride with that because how, how do you know that? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do you know that's 
specifically but how do you know because we ain't there he was i mean like you said about that, what's the what's the start what's the dude name that did this whole thing um abdul rahman muhammad yeah like you mentioned earlier with him you was like he's actually in the nation so mm-hmm. there are certain things that he would know that we wouldn't know because we're right. just not there but i mean like i say like this is a conspiracy just like everything else, just like the JFK shit. I mean, there's a whole conspiracy around this dude's death. There's a mm-hmm. whole conspiracy around Malcolm's death. I just think that with the way a lot of the stuff aligned up, and then especially with the dude that used to be there, um, the, what's his name? His name was James uh, uh, James Sebastian, for him mm-hmm. to be linked to Elijah Muhammad and be as close to Elijah as he was, and then he ended up going to the um, the March twenty five March twenty five down in New Jersey. I just think there's a, a just too many coincidences for nobody to know nothing, and it's all the FBI. I just don't well, think it's all the I, FBI. I think it's I think that a lot of people know more than what they've been leading on, um, and eventually we'll end up finding out the real truth. I mean, I know we got a lot of truth from this. We got a lot in this one, though. Yeah, we got, we got like a lot of truth from the documentary, but I think that it's going to be even more um, as time goes on. So, and I mean, I, I, honestly, man, I, I would just like for anybody to come out and, and give us something. Because, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the, it's the same thing with Martin Luther King. Like, why don't, you know what I'm saying? Why don't we know what really happened to Martin Luther King, bro? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? One thing, one minute is he got shot, and when he got shot, he died out there by the hotel. Then is he was still alive when he got to the hospital, to but the, the hospital, police yep. smothered him with pillow. Like, just tell us the truth, bro. Like, who who is going to be the person that comes out and tells us the truth about these things? And that's that's always been my question. Like, I don't care about people talking about aliens. We know aliens exist. Who cares? <laughs> you took it right out of my mouth. Y'all yeah. telling us about aliens, but yeah. y'all tell, tell, us, tell us who. Tell us the fucking truth about what happened to Biggie, Tupac, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. That's what Man, I want to know. That's a whole other thing right there. Dude, I just <laughs> like, watched it. Did you see, that new, you see that new Johnny Depp movie with, uh, with Forrest Whitaker? No. With... Uh, um, Forrest Whitaker worked for a newspaper, and Johnny Depp played this off this detective that was obsessed with the Biggie Tupac case. Man, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We not, nope, we not. Don't even talk about that. We're not doing that, bro. We're not doing that at all. You're not no, about to have Johnny. No, you never had Johnny Depp out here playing some fucking detective, looking and trying to get information on fucking Biggie and Tupac. No, bro, I'm not doing that. I'm not watching that movie. I'm not supporting that movie. I don't even know the name of the movie. I don't care when it come out. None of that. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, they do. They take enough from our culture as it is, bro. They not getting that out of me. No, the dude. It was. I mean, I I don't know the the truth. I don't know if there was one cop that was because like he was basically obsessed with the with the bro, with the with the one thing. F that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if Force Whitaker is in it. F that movie. Bro. <laughs> I mean that. All right, man. I hear you. I That's hear still you. enough from our culture as it is. I'm not showing that shit no support. Man, hey, if if the detective was a white guy, it was a white guy, bitch. No, it ain't about him being a white guy. It's about the fact that they keep using black trauma to make these fucking movies. Same thing with Lena Wave. That's why I don't support nothing she do and not all the rest of them motherfuckers because every time you turn around, bro, is some kind of black trauma that's being put on TV. Why can't we never get a movie where 
a black dude make hits the lottery and then he, you know what I'm saying? He bring everybody up. They did lottery ticket. Nigga, they was fighting in that movie, bro. <laughs> they was literally on the roof arguing about the fucking lottery ticket, man. He was hiding out from the gangbangers so he wouldn't get killed before he cashed his lottery hey, ticket. In. He was, was hiding. He was hiding. No, that's trauma, bro. No. What about the dude that hits the lottery and then he just bring his whole town up? And everybody, you know what I'm saying? Everybody get cars and stuff like that. Like, what about that one? True, true. Nigga, Chris Rock had to die to be uh, and become a white man to die again and become a famous black comedian just to be famous and, and be funny. You know how horrible? Come on, bro. That's trash. We talking about Chris Rock. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, man, they say Chris Rock got COVID, man. Hey, man, I might, uh, <laughs> I might be in the same boat. Man, I'll try to tell you what to do, man. I'm about to go eat some lemons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but he sound like Shawnee from, from fucking Hot ninety seven. Uh, <coughs> shit, are we? Are we? Damn, I don't know. Do we do fire flames on? Dr. Nah, Jerry? man, we not gonna do I didn't fire think so. on this. It, it, I, I wouldn't even feel respectful if I did that shit. Yeah, I didn't think. Just so. didn't. everybody go out and watch um, "Who Killed Malcolm X" documentary on Netflix. Um, also watch "Blood Brothers." Um, it's also a new documentary, but yeah, let's just support that as much as possible, man. We need to, uh, excuse me, we need to, we need to educate the masses, you know what I'm saying? Yes, Regardless if we find out who did it or not, we at least need to get the information. That is the truth. So we got coming soon? Um, yeah, man, coming soon. Let's get to it. Coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah, man. So, um, this next movie is um, Miracle at Saint Anna. I'm not. Yeah, even, man. I'm gonna rewatch it. I believe I've seen this before, but I'm gonna rewatch it anyway. Dude, listen. I did a for number one. It's a Spike Lee joint. Um, but I did a a top five war military movies of all time. Dude, this was my number two. Like mm-hmm. this movie, the the angle that Spike took on this, mm-hmm. dude, it was dope. It was surrounded around uh, World War Two. Uh, you you know a lot about World War Two, yeah. so that's gonna be um, that's gonna be awesome as well. Talking about that, um, but I think the story that goes along with it, man, is what makes the movie dope. It's just the dude that just was gonna be retiring and like. A month or so, dude walks up to, he works at the post office, then he just shoots the dude. And then they find something in his closet and, and that statue head they find in his closet took us on a fucking ride. But so mm-hmm. I, I just I just think this movie is this is a great fucking movie, man. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> America is Santana, man. Yeah, man, for sure. So, um, man, listen, this is, um, this, I feel like this is a great episode. I felt like um, we we did our best in not only just telling the um, documentary or docu series, but actually getting a little bit extra information out there as well. Um, so yeah, we'll be seeing you guys Friday with our next episode. Um, but don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at View Pod. You can follow me 
at um I'm sorry, you can also follow us on Facebook at VA Pod Watch Group. You can follow me at Scoots Bronson, um Scoots Bronson underscore TV on Instagram, Scoots Bronson at Scoots Bronson on Twitter. Uh go check out the four three podcast. Um we got an episode dropping tomorrow. Can't wait for this one. Um it's gonna be dope, man. Yes, sir, that it is. Uh also you can follow me at S Foster Eight. That's on Instagram and Twitter, uh, at twenty eight minutes or less pod on uh Instagram and twenty eight minutes or less on Facebook. I just dropped a new pod. Um, two days ago, uh, go check that out, please. Uh, it was episode 60, the hardest character. Uh, you know, I seen a discussion going around. They had, um, old dog from Minister Society, Doe Boy from Boys in the Hood, Nino Brown from New Jack City, and Bishop from Juice. So I broke that down, I broke all four characters down, and told you who I felt was the hardest. So, you know, go support the dude, man. For sure, man. Thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Um, once again, see you guys Friday. Like they say in Hollywood, that's a wrap. Okay.